Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Janice Lintz, who's a change agent. She's the founder and CEO of Hearing Access Innovations, which is dedicated to showing businesses, entertainment venues, and government departments around the world how to grow their profits by improving access to their products and facilities for an ever-increasing audience of individuals with hearing impairment. And she's also a travel writer, and she's traveled to over 190 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations in the world. Thanks for joining me today, Janice. Thank you so much for asking me to join you. So let's let's start with a little bit about your background. I usually do that with, with all of my guests, thinking that you didn't start out your life to do what you're doing now. So let's, uh, let's talk about you know business and law and the travel writing, all the things that got you where you are today. You know, my life is one of happenstance like so many other people's lives. Um, I graduated with an undergraduate business degree, went to law school, and then had a child with a hearing loss. And when my daughter was diagnosed with a hearing loss, uh, the doctor said to me there were special schools for her. And there were, just not her idea of special. Uh, My idea was the Ivy School she attended and the one she's attending now. But I don't think that's what the doctor meant. And I decided it was easier to change the world than to lower my standards or expectations for our family's life. It's not that I expected my daughter to go to an Ivy League school, but I didn't like the fact that somebody was deciding what her life would be at age two and a half rather than her deciding what her life would be. And so I started working on accessibility. And because we traveled globally, and I'm an a serious travel junkie addict, whatever you want to call it, I admit. Um, And as I would travel, I would see access in Commonwealth countries and realize like, why is it not in the United States? And I started um, asking questions and then saying, no, it had to be at it. And so that's how I ended up in this, in this field, which was just, was not my expectation, but I did when I went to law school, no, I intended to affect some change. It's just in my DNA to be a change maker. I think that's great. They, everybody needs to have someone, you know, in, in their corner, so to speak. And you being in your daughter's corner in such a powerful way has been probably phenomenal for her and, and has been a change for so many people because of what you're doing. Um, it's also been it, it powerful, and that's interrupted, but for me, because while everyone is, always sees this as the obvious, like I'm doing this, I'm not one a martyr, and I want to be really clear, I'm just like a mom. And But most importantly, it changed how I viewed myself and what I was capable of. 
And so whatever I've done for other people in terms of hearing access or changing hearing aid regulations, I have benefited personally, not financially, but internally for myself. It's, a, it's helped me become the person I was meant to be. And I don't mean that to sound trite, but when you put yourself out and do affect change so significantly, it changes you as a human and what you realize you're capable of. And that's kind of where I was going to go. It was, you know, you've, oh, sorry. You've been, no, it's okay. You've been in your daughter's corner, but it's, it's got to change who you are because you're going out there and, and you're seeing how you can make a difference and you're seeing what a difference makes to so many people. Um, I'm kind dramatic, of, and I have to say dramatically to the point that this summer I'm going to Harvard's Kennedy school, which was always like a fantasy dream to go to Harvard. And I was like, yeah, but I really am the profile of pers- people who would attend the school, people who are affecting change and globally. And I, and the idea of being with such other people like that who have the same mindset for me is so incredible. So I feel like, like that's another place where like by doing this access for my daughter, like now I get to go to Harvard. That's super cool. And so when you founded Hearing Access Innovations, you must have had to learn about the different types of hearing loss and the different ways that you can make changes so that you could help these uh, different organizations um, affect the changes to their organization, to their facilities so that, that uh, they're more accessible. Um, what did you do to begin that? Well, I knew nothing about hearing loss, hearing access, nothing. Um, And so I realized I had to do a deep dive into the field. And now I had worked in advertising before as a media planner. And so whenever I would, you know, look at a new, for a client, look at a new, whenever it was a new client and I had to learn about the field, whether I was working for um, Holiday Inn, which is now Intercontinental or Revlon or Pete Marwick KP, which became KPM GP Barwick. I knew nothing about those fields either. And I had to learn out and I would do a deep dive. So I took the same approach and I contacted And one of the ways I would do it is I'd call in all the magazines in the field and have them educate me rather than reinvent the wheel. Um, and then I would learn about the field from their perspectives. And somewhere within that was the truth. You know, you take everyone, you listen, and then you figure it out what you feel makes sense. So I did the same thing. I contacted the heads of every major or significant hearing loss organization in the country. And I spoke to all of them. And at the end, I had an idea. I didn't even know what access existed. And frankly, sadly, neither did they. Because it was only during my travels that I started to find out that access that existed in other countries didn't exist in the United States. And when you would see access, it would be bits and pieces. So you would see um, access that was basically person-driven rather than legislation-driven. There was no comprehensive approach. So, for example, you could go to Canada where you're based, and you would see access in some places, but not every place. So, like, for example, in Manitoba, where you have the Human Rights Museum. They ended up adding induction loops that enable a person with hearing loss to hear directly in their ear, hearing aid or cochlear implant. 
They put it at the service desk and then the coat room at my initiative, but they didn't add it to the videos. They are slowly adding it, right? So it became this piecemeal approach. And what I started doing was then taking what I would see in places and cobbling it all together to make a very clear, sensible approach. So it it would be more systematic and less one-off projects. But it was only from doing a deep dive into it. And how did most uh, companies, most organizations respond to you? Did they did they invite you in with open arms? Did they give you some pushback? Oh, I would say ninety nine percent pushback. One percent, I can count on one hand the number of open arms. <laughs> I would say most pushback and continue pushback. Um, most companies, government agencies view adding the access as a cost. They don't see, um, they just see spending money and you're asking them to spend more money that they don't, and they already have limited money. So why would they want to spend on this? And they view it as a small population and unnecessary example, the Canadian Human Rights Museum. I mean, I had to go to the prime minister's office to get the access moving. I went to prime minister Trudeau's office and I've spoken to ministers, the minister of cultural affairs. I mean, huge pushback. You would not even think that, especially to me in a Commonwealth country, more open arms than the United States. Um, But yet still pushback and people don't want to spend money. They don't understand the numbers. They don't understand their perception of who people with hearing loss is, is some flailing person like Helen, you know, I think people think of the movie um, Patty Duke playing Helen Keller with her arms flailing and she's incapable and, you know, She's got someone doing, you know, cute speech in her, you know, this is their perception. The number of people like that, it's very small, not to say they don't deserve or should absolutely have cute speech, but people see uh, hearing loss, not as a spectrum, but as sign language. So they always offer sign language because they can see that. Maybe they'll offer captions because they get that. And also the younger generation really likes captions. It keeps the uh, volume down in a space. So they might ask that, but adding this induction loop that brings the sound and hear the passion in a person's voice that they don't understand because they can't see invisible wires that are tucked in. And the only thing you see is when it's done correctly is the ear symbol with the T that you see behind me. And so that makes it really hard to understand what this is. And when you can't see how this works, it's not like a curb cut where you can see a wheelchair going over a curb cut, you can understand, okay, when there's a curb cut, it makes it easy for a wheelchair to go up on a sidewalk. It's not so easy for people to understand and they don't understand that. They hear expense. They don't know who people with hearing loss are. So in the United States, it's 48 million people, 360 million people globally. That's a lot of people. And, and it's not when you offer access for example, in New York City, in the taxis, which is based off of the uh, London taxis, and it's also in Azerbaijan. When you offer hearing access in a taxi, it's not just for the people who live in that city. It's all the tourists that come. And they're coming with their expectations. And the people from England are coming, and they understand what's possible. And you come to New York City, and you don't see it. You're like, why? And why doesn't it exist? And why does the city just think we only need wheelchair access? Well, because there was a commissioner who used a wheelchair. So he understood hearing wheelchair access. And he didn't understand hearing access. And he didn't think it was that important because he didn't add it. 
So if you don't add it, you could not, you know, obviously don't think it's important. So you're constantly standing up to pushback. Then you also have the issue of most of the commissioners or access coordinators use a wheelchair because when people hire someone, they want to see someone visibly that has a disability. You can't see a hearing loss. So it doesn't say, you look at this person, I hired someone who's part of the community. Well, suddenly you have people with wheelchairs making decisions about people with hearing loss. That makes no sense. You wouldn't hire a white person to make a decision about Black Lives Matter. But that's the same thing. Why would you hire a person with a wheelchair to make a decision about someone with hearing loss? It's not about us without us, as a saying. And, but even if a person has hearing loss, they're not necessarily an expert in hearing loss. So like I have a cell phone. I am not an expert in how my cell phone works, right? We use Zoom. We don't know how this works. The rules change. Nobody tells us. I'm like, you just told me about like this new pinning thing. Didn't even know about that, right? We're not experts in Zoom. We use it. You have to hire people with experts. And so when you have companies who don't want to spend money, their perception is you can hire the wheelchair guy to do all access and they don't understand it either. Well, or, or Joe in, in the operations department, where's a hearing aid? He therefore will ask him because he's an expert in hearing aids, right? You, you get all this pushback and all these reasons. And when people are stigmatized about their hearing loss, and so they're not speaking up because they don't want to be, quote, that person. What happens is the access doesn't get in place and therefore it's not there. And so you get lots of pushback. And so when I'm approaching, they're like, oh, well, no one's complained. First of all, you know, that's not true. Everyone complains about everything, especially in the United States. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we want it our way. So, you know, that's not true. So it's a lot of pushback. I know that's a long answer. Sorry. No, that's good. That's very good. So I probably should have done this part first. Let's take a step back and can you explain what it is that you're presenting to the various organizations as the access for hearing impaired people? So what I um, present, um, and I'll I'll give you a link for you to put to the show note so that people can visually see it, is that for people with hearing loss, you need effective communication. You need, a hearing loss is a spectrum. Depending on where you are on the spectrum, what type of access you need. So you have people at one end who um, don't believe they have a hearing loss. We all know people like that who say, I don't have a hearing loss, and they're getting louder and louder. My mother fell in that category, right? I worked in hearing access. My mother didn't have a hearing loss, and you probably heard her in Canada when she spoke to me on the phone. (laughs) I mean, it was just painful. And then you have to the other end where people are deaf and were born deaf and use sign language. There's a lot of in between. So then the people moving from the people who don't identify as hearing loss to people who might be wearing a hearing aid, they're going to want to bring the sound to their ear. Oh, the first group is going to rely on captions because they'll just say, oh, that person mumbles, right? And you hear that a lot in the theater. Actors mumble a lot. Then maybe some mumblers, but for the most part, it's probably the person that has a hearing loss. So they're going to rely on captions initially. Then as you move down the, the spectrum, and they're wearing your hearing aid, they want to bring the sound directly to your hearing aid or cochlear implant, blocking out the noise so that they can hear. Let's say if you're at the theater, you hear it. You'll see people wearing either a headset pre-pandemic. Nobody wants to wear a headset anymore because 
you know, no one's putting something in someone's ear that touched another human being. We are, none exactly. of us want to touch anything. We don't even use yep. pens from another person anymore. So um, you, you have that, but there's a way by having this induction loop where you can then switch your hearing aids or cochlear implant to the letter T, telecoil, and the sound electromagnetically goes to your hearing aid or cochlear implant. Further down, you have people who where hearing aids no longer work for you. Maybe you'll get a cochlear implant, or maybe you don't want to get a cochlear implant for whatever reason, but you don't know sign language. Those people are actually the most vulnerable because they're 100% dependent on captions because that they can't hear the sound. And then moving further, you move to people who um, grew up with hearing loss and they will use sign language. So you need what I call a three-pronged approach to effective communication. Audio, visual, audio, and qualified interpretation. All three things need to be in place. It's not a menu where you get to pick and choose because if you pick one, you're leaving part of the spectrum off. Um, you can't even pick two because still leaving part of the spectrum. And people want to hear sound because as you can tell, I'm an extremely passionate person, right? So if you read me, it doesn't come off. You don't even understand like me without hearing it. And that's why people like sign language because the interpreters when they sign are very emotive. And that emotive is, brings joy to life, right? If you don't have a choice, that's what you're missing. But if you can, you want to hear it. And as I say, if sound's not important, shut the sound for everybody. Suddenly sound is very important. People are like, oh my God, we don't shut the sound. But they want to shut the sound for people with hearing loss. That's called segregation, right? You stay in that group, not this group. That's amazing. <clears throat> and I hadn't really, that it, it's so clear when you say, well, shut the sound off for everyone. I uh, bet you uh, that isn't, it <laughs> doesn't go over well at all. No, it, it tends to freak people out when you tell them that because they really don't like when you say that because now you've caught them off guard because they're saying you don't need sound. But when you tell them to shut the sound for everybody, suddenly yeah. it's like, no, 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 that's not quite what I meant. I just meant for your people, right? Um, shut the sound. But it, it is. And and um, the link that I, I just emailed to in the chat, that if you, it, there's a chart that it really makes it so clear what the access is. Okay, I'll make sure that that link goes into the show notes so that everybody can check that out. I think and then this if you go to my personal website, JaniceLintz.com and they go into tools to use, you'll see a worksheet that is a blank version of that. So that whenever there's sound, whether human or audio, if you take the worksheet and you input the sound source at the top, and then you look to three boxes to see what the access should be, um, you know, for each the three prongs, it's easy to do to develop a worksheet for each sound source. So I, I have that on my website. Okay. So now this is fairly straightforward, I think, for um, kind of extrapolating into how it affects people beyond retirement. Because as you get older, generally speaking, things start to uh, quiet down in your life. <laughs> you, you tend to hear a little bit less. Your hearing often goes. Um, in the, in the, how do I want to say that? The, the themes for my show 
this season, I think I, I uh, pointed out to you were uh, confidence, freedom, uh, generosity, and learning. And I think that what you're doing and um, the things that you're presenting to us today fit really well into the idea of building confidence and definitely freedom um, because it's allowing going to allow people to uh, experience a lot of stuff that they might not otherwise be able to experience. But I think maybe learning is a part that is going to have to be pushed a little bit, um, not so much maybe for people with a hearing impairment, but for the world, the society in general, the way that you're saying there's a lot of pushback in terms of needing something for hearing impairment. I was wondering, do you know, or is there a way that you can think of that we can sort of start to help people learn about this sort of uh, situation and this, these sort of uh, innovations that are available? Absolutely. First off, I think it's learning on everybody's part because I don't think people with hearing loss, audiologists don't fully understand it. They don't understand the induction law loop or they don't want to. They tell people you can't get a telecoil in your hearing aid when you can because they don't make enough money on it. That's why I disrupted the hearing aid market because to me, there needed to be a, a complete disruption of that entire industry. It was same old, same old for way too long. I think um, if people have a hearing loss and they want the induction loop, they should take the chart that is going to go in the show notes. Take it. Take the link, print it out, or send the link to the, the museum you're going and say, I want this. Send them the worksheet. You fill in the worksheet for them. Say, okay, I'm in this box. The sound source is, let's say I'm going to a Broadway show, right? So I'm going, I'm going to a show, whatever. Put the name of the show in the, in, the, in the center box. Say, okay, you have captions. Great, put that in. They have sign language, put that in. Say, but I wear hearing aids. I'm in this audio box. What do you have for that box? The same for a museum, right? Show them the worksheets and ask them to complete it with you as an exercise and say, what do you have in that box? Because that's where I fit. I don't know sign language. I don't want to read captions. I want to hear the passion. You know, if you go, for example, in the US to the Holocaust Museum, right? You, if you can't hear, okay, of course you're going to read the captions, but you want to hear the passion of, of the survivors tell their story, right? That, that's like so emotive. And the same for the Museum of Human Rights in Manitoba, right? You want to hear about from the indigenous people and, and why their stories and what happened to them and how the lands changed. That's a very powerful story. So bring the worksheets, bring, the, bring it and show them and hold people accountable. And, you, and don't take no for an answer. No is not an, an answer. And then write Prime Minister Trudeau if you're in Canada, because he'll know where it's coming from. <laughs> Go to the top. That's my Go theory. To. That is the way I operate. Go to the top, because that's the only way you're going to affect change is going to the top. If you work up from the bottom, you will, you will be there for the rest of your entire retirement. You will be sloughing it off. It's impossible. You have to go to the top. So wherever it is, go to the top of the museum. That doesn't work. Go to the top of politics, governors, ministers, mayors, whatever it is, prime ministers. 
write letters, emails to the top. Everybody's email is on, on the web because of thanks to data breaches. <laughs> it's a positive side of data breach. I suppose. And I guess by having people do this, the more people that do it, the more information gets out there and the more times it gets beat into someone's head at that museum, maybe something will happen and things will change. Exactly. Because it's, it's in my opinion, absolutely outrageous that a museum dedicated to human rights forgot a hearing loss. And apparently, I mean, not to really discuss this one museum over and over, but you are in Canada. The museum relied on a group of people with disabilities and there was nobody in the group that had hearing loss. Wow. They had no idea, right? So here again, we go back to the same problem. It's the same problem over and over. They expected a group of people with disabilities to be experts in everything. And these were just people who happened to have disabilities. So they just didn't include it because there was nobody included. Of course it didn't. It didn't occur to them to ask. And so that is crazy. And and But it's not just that museum. It's lots of museums. And, it, and it's, you know, Obviously, I can't be everywhere in every country. And people need to reach out and, and really demand the access they need. It's time to get over your embarrassment, shake it off, write letters. By getting the access you need, it, it enriches your life. It makes it fuller and it empowers you. And frankly, during retirement is the best time because you have the time to do it. That's true. So that the uh, you can't be in every country. That was a, a nice segue into my next question. I was going to ask you about the countries that you've been in and the things that you've done. Um, you've been in a, in a lot of different countries and done a lot of traveling. Do you have a specific place where most of the problems that you see in North America, we'll say, aren't existing? Uh, in terms of access? I will say England is very accessible, um, the UK, but they have a different problem. Their problem is they have the access, but it's not always active and working. Same in Israel, um, has the access, but it's not working. So a lot of these places are using these portable systems rather than hardwiring the systems. And so imagine if you have something like, you know, like it's a little, it looks like a little suitcase and you plug it in. Well, the problem is everybody has a phone that needs to be charged. So people unplug it. And then people don't know what it's for, right? So they shove it in the closet. And then people don't even know it exists. Or they use, and they use little portable signage, you know, like almost picture frames that people move. Signs need to be permanent and mounted. And, and, the, and the wires need to be hardwired because these portable systems don't work. And they need to be tested every year to make sure they still work. Um, so I wouldn't say there's any place that has a perfect, but there are places that have better than others. Sadly, every place requires absolute people checking on it. And that's the exhausting part because in the United States, we have in some of our cities um, where you get letters for help by the health department for restaurants, ABC fail. There is no one checking access to make sure it works and there's no self um, certifying there's no anything it's just file a complaint and filing complaints not so simple and it takes a lot of work and 
a lot of paperwork and it's exhausting. And people think when they pass this legislation and, and they say, oh, well, you'll file a complaint if there's a problem, as if that's simple. And people know what to do and they have the legal wherewithal to do it. It's not so simple. I am trained as an attorney. I don't practice, but it's exhausting even for myself. So it doesn't get done. And we need people who are like the health department inspectors who check to make sure the access is in place. Because in the United States, the mandate is a federally unfunded mandate with no teeth, meaning no funds. So how does anyone expect this is going to get done? And then you have people who don't even know what it is or don't care. So it's like, it's a fantasy. The ADA in many ways is a fantasy. And what it's done is it's created this cottage industry of people with disabilities working as access coordinators, but they're only putting in the access they need. <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's not their fault. I mean, that's, no, well, that's totally to be expected. In some cases it is because you, when you're in a government position, you're supposed to be, your job is to think about everyone. And if you don't know, then ask, do the research, but they don't seem to care. Yeah. And it's sad. And, and, you know, many times they can't get fired. It's hard to fire with someone with a disability. It becomes this very complicated thing and it becomes challenging to take people on. So um, I haven't gone to take a look at the, uh, the link you gave me because I don't want to uh, disappear off the screen. Is the, Induction loop, is, is it something that people could get for themselves that they can use in other places? Or does it have to be something that's put in place by the organization for their presentations? Oh, they can yeah easily put in your own home because you're going to test it, right? So you can get one of these portable systems or they make it for a television where you, it could be a seat cushion or there are ways of doing um, there. If you go online, there are home de- home devices, which make a big difference. Um, there are also companies that have like devices where you can wear. It's different if you're in your own home and you're wearing a device. The, the negative side of the type of the devices is like if you have friends come over who have a hearing loss, they have to wear those devices and you have to have enough of them. So better have an induction loop and assuming they have a telecoil on their hearing aid they can watch television with you. Otherwise you have to have a device for them. Okay. So this telecoil. It's easily done in, it it was done in my home. It was done in my car for my daughter to watch videos. It's not complicated. So the the actual hearing aid would have a telecoil in it. And that would be something that would be put in place when the hearing aid is made. Yes. Or you can do it after the fact. And people say it can't be done, but of course it can be done. You have to have, go to an audiologist who's willing to make the effort. Okay. So that's something that that would be useful, I guess, for people who are listening to this, who may be experiencing hearing losses as they go along. If they're going to be getting hearing aids, they could ask for this telecoil to be put in their hearing aids so that they can access whatever they need. Yes. And, and if the um, audiologist says it can't be done, go to a different audiologist. And let them know you're going to take your business somewhere else because it most certainly can be done after the fact. You may actually have an, a, a telecoil and the audiologist may not have activated it, oh, that's which is another ridiculous thing, right? I, we found that out on a set of hearing aids. The audiologist never activated. Why? No, I never got an answer. Interesting. 
Okay. So that, yeah, that's really, uh, I, I kind of like that. That's interesting to know. Thank you. I think that might be uh, quite helpful for people. So we've been uh, chatting about all sorts of different ways to get involved with uh, getting access into whatever organization you're trying to get into, whatever um, place you're trying to go. Is there anything that you'd like to say just in, in closing to the listeners to spur them on or to help your, your cause a little bit? I want them to complain, but not complain with a rant, complain with a solution. Take the charts, go in and tell them what you need. Tell them how it benefits you. Don't be afraid and go to the pharmacy, look up the CEO, email, look up the email and you put the CEO's name, email, look it up, email the person, tell them you need this. Don't let them get off the hook because that's the only way it's going to change. It, you can't, you can you can't affect the change if people don't complain, but they can't complain without a solution. You know, I tell my children that was irritating for me. Nobody wants to listen to that. Exactly. That's perfect. So make a complaint, but make a complaint with a solution. Exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Janice. You've uh, enlightened me. I'm sure you've enlightened a lot of the listeners about uh, ways that they can make changes, ways that they can maybe improve their own hearing and their own access to, uh, uh, my mind went blank, to entertainment venues, to whatever they're doing. And thank you very much for uh, joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Are you ready to start rocking your retirement? Head on over to www.beyondretirement.ca forward slash rocking it and sign up to plan out your own roadmap for retirement. Don't wait till it's too late. <laughs>